Welcome to our Mindfulness Podcast. Each week we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much. The Golden Chain I am a link in Amita's golden chain of love that stretches around the world. I will keep my link bright and strong. May I be kind and gentle to every living thing and protect all who are weaker than myself. May I think pure and beautiful thoughts, say pure and beautiful words, and do pure and beautiful deeds. May every link in Amida's golden chain of love be bright and strong, and may we all attain perfect peace. We will prepare for sutra chanting, Sambutsuge on page 33. This is one of three verses or poems that can be found in the larger sutra. Two of these three we chant regularly. One is the Sambutsuge, and the other is the Jusege. The Sambutsuge is four characters per line, so that kind of is a tip-off that we've hit a verse or a poem within the larger sutra. The Romanized sounds are on page 33. And on page 37, you can actually see the kanji characters. There's actually four characters per line, and they're represented on page 33 in English so that we can read it. We read from left to right, top to bottom, down the first column, then down the second column, and then down the third column. The open circles uh, represent bells that are rung by the leader. So two bells begin a chant. One bell means we're changing from one section to another and three bells signify the ending of the chant. Italicized lines represent leader lines that are done by the leader, and underlined syllables represent a beat and a half. And when you see multiple underlines in a row, the line is slowing down. And so on page 32, it explains roughly uh, where this comes from and what it's about in general from the larger sutra. And then there's a translation on page 34 and page uh, 35 and 36. But this is a little hard to understand without commentary. There's a lot of symbolic language. But in general, it's about a student who is praising his teacher, the qualities of his teacher. And then about halfway through, it shifts into the first person. And it says, I want to become a Buddha. And when I realize enlightenment. So the student is beginning to have an aspiration or vow to be like his teacher. And I think when we chant this, there's a little bit of a transference where the I in here moves from being the student 
in the larger sutra to being oneself. This vow becomes my vow. So when we chant, we're not really chanting to memorize or learn. It's more of a ritual practice. You could think of this as meditation with sound. And if done right, you feel a oneness with all the voices and all the sound in the room. Sometimes it'll actually feel that when you open your mouth, everyone chants. And when you close your mouth, everyone stops. And you feel as if everyone's voice is emanating from you. And so that is one of the main reasons we sutra chant. And this is the same reason why Buddhists have sutra chanted for the past uh, 2,500 years. It hasn't really been memorizing facts or doctrine. It's been a oneness where your body is actually resonating and propagating the teachings like a tuning fork. You feel it and you broadcast it and you're part of the propagation of the tradition through your own voice. And so we will begin at the sound of the bell. Kogen Oh. 
Please join me in Gasho. Namandouts, 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 Namandouts. This is James Pollard. I will share a message that I wrote. It is called Beyond Faith. Can you justify your beliefs? In some cases, it's unnecessary to do so. When it comes to personal preferences, such as, that was a great tasting sandwich, or I don't like plaid slacks, we are entitled to be arbitrary. Choices made on the basis of views about food and fashion are largely inconsequential. However, when we speak of beliefs, we usually are referring to important matters, such as how the world works, how we should behave, and how society is organized. Ideally, I would weigh the evidence rather than rely on emotional reactions. But, in fact, my consequential beliefs can be just as arbitrary as my preferences regarding sandwiches or slacks. I will use the word belief to designate an arbitrary opinion about the world. Under this definition, a belief system is a collection of opinions that are not based on evidence. Buddhism teaches us to go beyond this kind of belief system. In ancient India, it was customary for spiritual teachers to give their opinions on questions such as, is the world eternal? Or, is the world infinite? Or, does a Buddha exist after death? It was impossible to determine whether the answers were true or false and therefore these opinions were called speculative views. By contrast, on the path taught by Gautama Buddha, one does not engage in speculative discussions. He declined to respond when questioned about such matters because his teachings arose from experience and not from speculation. Gautama did not teach 
a collection of arbitrary opinions, that is, a belief system, as I have defined the term. He awakened to direct knowledge of the path leading to liberation, as revealed in his own life experience. The Buddha offered a teaching that was open to all, and he invited each person to test it against his or her own experience. We must not hold an unquestioning belief in the teacher's words. However, we face a difficulty when first encountering the Dharma because our ability to experience what the Buddha is teaching is feeble. We cannot grasp the depth of the Dharma based on perceptions that are shallow and unfocused. How are we to get through this difficulty? It's at this crucial stage that faith can be said to play a role in Buddhism. As a teenager, I listened to many sermons on the topic of faith, but eventually I turned away from my ancestral religion. So, decades later, I am surprised to be thinking about faith again in a Buddhist context. The word faith has many non-Buddhist interpretations. It can mean a collection of beliefs that contradict the evidence from the natural world, as in relying on a faith healer to cure an illness. In the familiar phrase, faith in God, it means a relationship with an all-powerful deity. Formerly, in the Buddhist churches of America, faith was used as a translation for the term Shinjin, or Shin Buddhist Awakening. It was also used in translating the text of the Three Treasures. I put my faith in Buddha. I put my faith in Dharma. I put my faith in Sangha. These usages are not wrong, but I want to suggest a different meaning for the word. There is no difficulty in recognizing that we live in a world of delusion. Samsara is manifested in all aspects of our culture. It's easy to see delusion in other people, and once in a while I am made to see my own deludedness as well. However, it's very difficult to sense that the Buddhist world of awakening exists in the midst of samsara. World of awakening means Buddhahood, nirvana, liberation. Can we accept the idea that liberation exists, that it can be realized at the personal level? This is an opinion for which we lack supporting evidence at the outset. With so many distractions in our lives, it seems impossible for the world of awakening to register with us. No matter how many Buddhist services we attend or how many talks we listen to, direct experience may still be absent. We accept the idea that the Buddha realized nirvana, but accepting the idea of our own liberation is difficult. The teachings identify two types of doubt or distorted views. First, that there is no path to liberation, and second, that even if a path were to exist, there is no one to walk it. If we reflect seriously on religious questions, it's likely that we will experience such doubts which cannot be overcome merely by thinking things over. Without direct experience, no amount of cogitation can convince us that there is a path to awakening 
and that we are able to walk it. There has to be another way around the distorted views. To hold the belief that a path exists before we have actually found it is what I call Buddhist faith. It is to affirm the existence of a path to liberation when the evidence is lacking. To affirm this in spite of doubts is what motivates us to keep listening. The archetype of one who seeks the way is Siddhartha Gautama. Unable to find meaning in his secular life, he resolves to abandon his home and family and to become a renunciant. Persisting in his search for six years, he endures rigorous training and hardships, but during that time the direct experience of liberation eludes him. Why doesn't Gotama abandon his search? It is because he has faith that a path exists and that he will find it. This faith does not come about through his powers of reasoning. In Buddhist terms, faith is a product of his karma, the flow of causes and effects from the distant past. The scriptures speak about past lives in which he performed countless meritorious deeds leading up to his final birth as a great man destined to attain Buddhahood. We might not explain our own background in such a colorful way, but the same principle applies. All the things we have experienced and all the choices we have made, whether foolish or wise, determine whether we are able to believe that the path exists prior to our actually finding it. Once Gotama has attained awakening, his faith is transcended. He has direct experience of the way. Faith, as I have defined it, ceases to be an attribute of the Buddha. Remarkably, the same pattern applies in Shin Buddhism. Under the influence of our karma, we hold the unsupported belief that a path exists before we have actually encountered it. The stage of unsupported belief is transcended when Shinjin, or true settlement, is realized. It means that a foolish being is headed irreversibly toward liberation. Rather than the belief that a path exists, there is now direct experience of the path. How is our initial faith transformed into direct experience? What is the evidence that enables us to go beyond faith? First, we must meet a Buddha in the sense of hearing and appreciating the powerful life stories of Gotama and of Shinran, our teachers who lived long ago. They taught others how to experience the world of awakening the experience was carried in turn from teacher to student down to the present day, and we are now able to receive it. Second, we must meet a Sangha, a community of people who seek the way. Today, there are many heirs of Gotama and of Shinran, and our initial belief that a path exists will enable us to encounter them. Previously, I said that Gotama is our archetype, but in one sense, we are not like him. The exceptional person 
who found the path to liberation on his own. The Shin Buddhist path is experienced as part of a community. The world of awakening is revealed to us in the lives of others. When this happens, we become receptive to the teachings. We gain a desire to understand what has transformed our fellow Sangha members. Third, we must engage with the Dharma by listening deeply and reflecting on the teachings. In particular, we must commit to being students of Shinran. His writings speak powerfully to our condition here and now if we make the effort to become familiar with his language. Through listening and learning in the favorable environment of a Sangha, the Shin Buddhist life of awakening emerges as a reality. We become able to accept the idea of liberation at the personal level, the stage of unsupported belief that a path exists is transformed into direct experience of the path. Encountering this path, we are able to go beyond faith. Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 Selected Sayings Number 15 Know that the primal vow of Amida makes no distinction between people young and old, good and evil. Only Shinjing is essential, for it is the vow to save the person whose karmic evil is deep and grave and whose blind passions abound. Shinran Shonin Tani Sho Number 1 Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. This concludes this podcast. I hope you feel grounded. I hope you feel different than when you began. And this feeling you have, I hope you take it with you out into your everyday life. It's important to develop these qualities in a controlled environment like this podcast. But the aim is for the effects to begin to bleed out into your everyday life naturally. My wife once sent me a meme on Facebook that said, yoga works, but only if you show up. And I feel that way about Buddhism and about meditation. It surely works, but only if you stick with it. And you have to get to the point where it becomes something natural and effortless in your life. And if you have high expectations and you're trying to rush the process, you actually retard your ability to change over time. You don't want to grasp it. You don't want to hang on to it. You just want to experience it in a regular practice and integrate it into your everyday life. So thank you very much for coming. I will close with Gasho. Hands together and we will bow. Today's program was presented by Minister's Assistant, James Pollard, Reverend John Turner, and Reverend Ellen Crane. Executive Producers, Reverend John Turner, and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA.
Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. This program is copyright 2020, Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. For more information about this or other podcasts, groups, and activities, BCE classes, or temple services, visit us on the web at ocbuddhist.org.